Hey, it's Liz Kelly. One Shiny Podcast will be touring from Friday, November 2nd to Wednesday, November 7th, where Tate, Titus, and nephew Kyle are traveling to Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomington, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois to tip off the college basketball season. You can find links to tickets on The Ringer's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show, The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, O'Climber, O'Candyland. Kevin! <laughs> what up, Chris? How you doing this morning? You had a late night last night. Oh, yeah. Because late night. you witnessed uh, an overtime thriller uh, for this early season with the San Antonio Spurs beating the Los Angeles Lakers 143 to 142 to drop the Lakers to 0 and 3. LeBron missed some free throws down the stretch. And man, oh man, there's only been uh, two games there at the forum for the Lakers so far, but both of them have been wildly entertaining and have had something big come out of it. We knew there was already going to be an immense amount of attention paid to the Lakers, but good grief, man. The first two games of the season, one of them has a fight and one of them has LeBron going to the free throw line at the end and then done in by uh, and misses some free throws and Patty Mills uh, does in the Lakers on their home floor. What was it like? Well, first of all, the atmosphere was ridiculous. I mean, that was a wild, wild regular season game, especially for October. I, I don't recall a place being that loud this early in the season. Uh, the game itself, I mean, it feels weird to say this in a game where the score, both teams scored over 140, but San Antonio's defense did a really nice job in the first half at containing LeBron James. Dante Cunningham, granted he fouled out eventually, did a nice job containing LeBron. Spurs' defense was collapsing into the paint. Like, there were two, sometimes three guys in the paint, which made it hard for LeBron and other Lakers players to attack the rim. Things changed in that second half. But overall, like, I'm still just blown away by the pace and the scoring as a result of these, this freedom of movement because of the 14-second shot clock, all of these things that are increasing scoring right now. Everybody's going to talk about the Lakers and what they have to figure out, but I'm interested in your thought on San Antonio getting to see him in person. What do you think? Because this is a team that obviously is much different than it has been constituted for the last several years, right? The familiar faces are no longer there, even though we did have Aldridge have a monster game and Patty Mills sure. hit the big shot last night. Uh, what did you think of this new version of San Antonio? A couple things. Uh, the first one that really comes to mind is DeMar DeRozan, right? I was talking to somebody before the game about how, you know, it's disappointing that we don't get to see DeJounte Murray and Derek White with the opportunity to run point for this team. But that does mean DeMar DeRozan gets more opportunity to be a playmaker. Uh, last year, we saw him make strides passing the ball for the Raptors uh, because of the increased role, the changed offense under Dwayne Casey. And this year with San Antonio, he's been kind of pushed into more of a heavy playmaking role. And last night, he had the 14 assists to only two turnovers. Uh, granted, against it was the Lakers just horrific turnstile defense. I mean, the Lakers defense is really, really bad. It is probably worse than what a lot of people expected it to be. It's still interesting to see DeRozan in that role as a playmaker. Uh, and then the other thought is just Brent Forbes. That guy's got a flamethrower shot. Uh, each season, he's gotten better. This is his third year now with the Spurs. And his shot has really developed and 
shot 39% from three last year, shooting nearly 50% so far this year. That guy can hit big-time shots with a hand in his face. All right, so what do you think the issues are with the Lakers? What does Luke Walton have to figure out? We touched on this a little bit yesterday. He checked in terms of rotations. I think like Alonzo Ball starting over Rondo, once Rondo comes back, to me, that's number one. I think Lonzo Ball is just a better fit next to LeBron James, and he's a better defensive player. And then to close last night's game, Luke Walton stuck with Josh Hart over Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who is just a, Hart is a far better player in, in virtually every category, I think, and a more consistent player as well. Um, besides that, Chris, Look, I mean, Speed McKayluke and Jonathan Williams last night getting an opportunity to play, I think that says a lot about where Walton and the coaching staff is with Michael Beasley and Zubats. Um, Williams was solid last night. He can, he's a good rebounder uh, after two years two years at Missouri, two years at Gonzaga. And then Mikhailuk didn't hit a shot last night, but he has a flamethrower from three. And I'm curious to see if those guys get more minutes moving forward for the Lakers too. For especially with Mikhailik to increase spacing, but also improve the defense because JaVale McGee, you look at his numbers last night, 16 points on 13 shots, eight rebounds, one block, and it's like, oh, you know, not bad. But then, you know, you watch games and you know those six fouls, a lot of them are uh, avoidable fouls. And, you know, you see the missed rotations and you see the lack of communication. You know, they need to find a, a, a defensive big. McGee can do it for you in 14, 15 minutes per game, but nearly 30 minutes for him is too much. Uh, they need to find another big. Nice little shout out for uh, Jonathan Williams. I actually followed him in high school. He's a Memphis kid. He was one of the few that like was a highly recruited kid that left the town um, and went elsewhere. And obviously then he ended up on that Gonzaga team was outstanding that he was a part of. And I, I, I certainly didn't expect him to go into the league and end up getting 14 minutes in a big game, but he did well last night. What do you think about the Kuzma deal? Because he ends up taking 25 shots last night. There's probably not a lot of nights, to be fair. I don't know. Given the pace, maybe you were seeing a lot of guys take a lot more shots than you're used to. But in the absence of Brandon Ingram, you saw the full display of Kuzma. Now, not only did he take 25 shots, he played 45 minutes <laughs> in the game. You know, is this one of those we're going to look back and say this is the huge Kuzma night? Or do you think that Kuzma could be primed, especially now playing alongside LeBron James, that, that they've got to figure out a way to make the most of what Kuzma can bring to the table? And last night, I mean, 37 is a big number, Kev. This is who Kuzma is. Kuzma's the type of guy where those first two games, he was two for 12 from three. Last night, he was four for 10 from three. And the shot opens up the game for him, right? Mm -hmm. um, Kuzma is somebody who his shot developed early last season. It looked like a much improved shot, and I think it is. But he's still a player who's going to be an inconsistent shooter, just like he was in, in his time at Utah. Um, he was somebody who never found a consistent stroke. And it's better now, like I said, Chris, but... I still think those inconsistency issues will be there. It's just, it'll be, instead of him shooting around, what was it in college? I think I think he shot maybe almost exactly 30% from three over his three years at Utah. In college, in the NBA, maybe that turns into 35, 36% from three, where you get some games in high variance where he just knocks down everything, but then games where it's like, this dude can't hit a shot. Um, Kuzma is a, is, is a spark plug, right? I think a lot of times we think about point guards as spark plugs. They come off the bench, they handle the ball a lot. Um, and they can spark offense for your team. But Kuzma, to me, at the forward spot, 
can be that guy for the Lakers or whatever team he plays for over the duration of his career where he'll average, you know, 18, 19 points, but he'll have 30-point games and a lot of five-point games too. Do you think the LeBron, Kuzma, Ingram triumphant is going to fit well together? Yeah, I do. I think it works. Okay. All right. It'd be interesting to see if they can all, right? Like that's the goal is to be able to all be super successful at the same time. And you saw in the absence of Ingram last night, you know, let's be fair. Kuzma probably doesn't get 25 shots if Ingram's in the game, right? He might. Yeah, he might. Maybe, maybe. Maybe he did. He had games like this last year. Well, he also didn't have LeBron James on his team. Sure. Right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but he also had a lot of games where he, where he shot, you know, 18, 19 or 20 plus times early in the year, too. I, I forget. He had his breakout game early November last season. I, I forget the team it was against, but um, dropped 30 for the first time. And, you know, that, this was following his flashes in, in summer league. And then an impressive preseason. And then in the early season, he was pretty good. And then he had that big 30-point game. that was like, whoa, this guy, actually for real. All right. You, you know the microscope is going to be much greater on everything they do. And frankly, I mean, they have given people reason to really pay attention. Their first two games have just been out of this world, the, the ones that have taken place in L.A. so far. Do you look at this and say the 0-3 start is discouraging? Do you look at it and say the 0-3 start is just them figuring out and a function of the suspensions and LA is going to be every bit as good as you thought they were going to be? I think for both the Lakers and the Thunder, obviously 0-3 is not ideal um, because of the way the Western Conference is, because of last season where you can win 46 games and you can miss out on the playoffs. Every single game matters, right? Every game matters, and this could end up being the difference between being the three seed or the eight seed or maybe even missing out in the playoffs. Um, however, for the Lakers and the Thunder, for that matter, especially the Lakers because they have LeBron James on their team, it's not worth panicking over. This is a new team. It's a lot of new guys on this team that are developing chemistry together. And I think last night we saw those two sides. We saw that team that's figuring out who they are, um, that has some personnel issues with shooting and spacing in the first half where they couldn't attack the rim. And then in the second half and in overtime, we saw what this team could look like. They're going to be fine. They're, they're going to become a really, really high-power offense as they develop chemistry over the course of the season and figure out the right combinations of players to put together on the court to maximize their team. It's going to happen over time. It's just a matter of will it happen soon enough. And I, I think they'll be fine, though, Chris. I still, I still look at them as a, a high 40s, maybe 51 team for sure. And in fairness, they're for, and we'll probably get to see how great they can look when they play uh, I think I think it's Phoenix that's up next. In fairness, the, the way their season started, it, it's murder, right? I mean, you're playing at Portland. Portland had won 17 home openers in a row. The last team to beat the Portland at Portland, the first game of the season, was the Kobe Shaq Lakers. And you had Paul Allen passing away and all the emotion of that going in. So that's not an easy spot, first game of the season. And then they've lost to the Rockets and the Spurs. Right. I mean, so yeah. that's why I'm glad you brought up Oklahoma City. They didn't lose to the Rockets and the Spurs. They got their ass kicked by the Kings and Demon Shumpert of all things. So that one, <laughs> that one stay. I, I could not believe it. All I'm this not time, Shumpert just needed to get away from LeBron. <laughs> I swear to you, I didn't see that game. And then when I saw the box score, I was like, what the hell? Iman Shumpert. 
because that <laughs> the first game that they played when they put out their starting lineup, right? I think uh well they had played that Pelicans game uh the Kings had, but what was the uh the first game because I had put out their uh starting lineup. Oh, it was the Jazz. They hosted the Jazz at home, yep. right? Yep. And and their starting lineup was uh Bielitsa, Cauley Stein, Yogi Farrell, De'Aaron Fox, and Buddy Heald. And like Shumpert was just like one of the other guys coming off the bench. I like Josh Jackson or Frankie Mason or any of the others. And then the next thing I know, I was like, wait, hold on now. Iman Shumpert is dropping almost 30 points against this team. And so that and that was that one got a lot of attention because it was going to be Westbrook's first game back, right? Um, that's what makes it a little different. It's not Houston, it's not the Spurs. That's at home in Westbrook's return getting run out by the Sacramento Kings. Um, you know, do you think it's too early to worry about what they've got going on in Oklahoma city? They do seem to have a lack of shooters. Uh, I think for OKC. Um, yeah, their roster is problematic uh, because they don't have a lot of shooters on that team. And, you know, you could say the same thing about the Lakers, but I, I think overall the Lakers team, I think has better shooting. This Oklahoma city roster does not. Uh, there's really not a lot of good shooters on this team um, up and down the roster. Even somebody like Paul George, who is a very good shooter. I'm not sure there's a single great shooter on this roster. There's not. There's not a single great shooter. Is there? Well, they no, right, they right? need they need Ferguson to be right. But he's they not. Need, no, he's, he's not. not. I mean, Adam Adams doesn't space the floor to three. Patterson is a solid shooter for a big. Noel can't space the floor. Grant is a subpar shooter. Schroeder is an average shooter. Abreens is a pretty solid, good, good shooter. Not a great shooter, though. Diallo still developing his shot. Uh, Deontay Burton, not a knockdown shooter. There's nobody on this roster that can effectively space the floor for Russell Westbrook, who is a guy, you know, optimally would, would be on a team with the floor spaced four out. I mean, this is like an extreme example, but just imagine Westbrook with like Houston spacing, right? Or what Milwaukee is trying to do right now. Those are the ideal conditions for Westbrook. So he can attack the rim, draw a lot of fouls and get a lot of easier baskets at the rim. Um, But right now with this Oklahoma city roster, they don't have the shooters, but without Andre Robertson, they also don't have their best defender. The team I thought even before the year was, possibly on that playoff bubble. If you're thinking about teams that would surprisingly miss the playoffs, to me, they were that that number one team um, that could. And I'm not sure where the solutions are um, for shooting. Well, I tell you this, you mentioned Patterson. He has been a colossal disappointment for me. I mean, I was a, fa- I was a big fan of his in Toronto, and I thought that was a sneaky, really good signing by Presti uh, last offseason. It, it was it's, worth it despite like the injury. Well, And it has been an abject disaster. I mean, he played 15 minutes for them and gave them four points and two rebounds last year, and he hadn't hit a shot this year. I mean, he's, you know, through the three games, he's 26% from the field, for God's sakes. I mean, yeah. you should, you, that's a team, like you were saying, a stretch guy should be getting a lot of open shots. And I really liked what he brought to the table in Toronto. And it's just, it just has not worked at all. And I know he's had the injuries. But still, beyond the injuries, he has just not been the Toronto Patterson at all since he has been at Oklahoma City. No, it, it seems like that knee injury that he had, um, yep. he's not the same guy anymore, which is, is disappointing. 
because he was a really, really good player to watch for a long time. That's for sure. Uh, what one other thought? Darren Fox looking pretty good so far this year. Oh, I, looking like a I more advanced player. See, it's early, just three games, but we saw a little bit of this in preseason. Uh, where maybe he's made some strides. Uh, I'm I'm not going to jump the gun on him yet and say he has, because um, he still has you know shots still needs to fall. He didn't shoot the ball well in preseason and in the regular season he's only one for seven from three, but he does seem like he's made some strides overall. He has got a great head on his shoulders. Great kid. You even got into, you sat down and did that interview with him just last year. Yeah. Um. Anybody that's around him, incredibly likable kid. Um. Speed kills, man. He is so damn fast. He really is. And he's so good with the ball. And I, you know, I loved him uh last year going into that draft. I thought I thought he has a chance to be very special. In fairness, I happened to be at the NCAA tournament game that he was I mean, he destroyed Lonzo. Absolutely destroyed him. And I thought, God, what a competitor. Because that's all anybody was talking about was Fox versus Lonzo, Fox versus Lonzo. And that kid <laughs> played absolutely out of his mind in that game. He was so good. Um, and he's, you know, I'm not I, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if De'Aaron Fox ends up being a star in the league at all. He had a lot of the wall stuff going, right? All the way down to the not trustworthy shot. The other one, is, <laughs> he re, he reminded me a lot of Conley and it took Conley yeah, a, a I, I long like, time like to figure it account. out, right? It took him a long time to figure it out. But once you, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, you can fix a shot. Mike Conley was nobody from three and then became a dead eye three point shooter. Um, if Fox could put that to his game, cause he still doesn't really do it. Boy, he could be devastating cause he can get to every spot. Um, Let's get to some of these other takeaways, because you wrote this article about the takeaways at the beginning of the season. We're always given to overreactions over the course of the first couple of games. Um, but I like some of the ones that you outlined that we have seen so far, one of which and you and we'll see which of these have, you know, staying power. But the one that you did about uh, Denver's defense and what that has looked like so far and you go back and you look at that Warriors game. They missed like 20-something free throws in the game. They shot like hell from three, and they still end up winning that game. That is just not a game that Denver would have won when they're missing all those free throws and missing all those threes, and they're able to do it by holding the Warriors under 100 points. And obviously, Jokic has been out of his mind. But do you think that this is now a schematic thing with Denver and that this is going to stay, that like a team that we – kind of new as a horrendous defensive team could really flip itself into being a pretty good one. It sure helps having Paul Millsap back healthy. I think, right. you know, the the blurb you're mentioning in that article focused on Jokic, right? Yeah. And it focused on how Denver this season seems to be hedging on pick and rolls more often, which means instead of having the big man defender drop into the paint and, you know, sag and and, and invite shooters to attempt a three or for mid-range, um, he's instead hedging, which is meant to force the ball handler to make a pass. So you're trying to make somebody else beat you or you're forcing the point guard, the ball handler, into a more difficult shot attempts. Um, and that's been the, the main change of their pick-and-roll defense. But Millsap, ultimately, when it comes to rotating and the help defense that needs to occur and covering for Jokic if he does get blown by, having Millsap back, I think, is what's really making this click on either higher level. Like, Denver's not going to sustain the number one defense in basketball, Chris, 
but they definitely look better overall, don't they? Oh, for sure. And this is, listen, I hate that they lost Will Barton because he was off oh to a really God, good yeah. start. And that's a killer. How about this? That Warrior game? Kevin, I, I, I will freely admit this and I can, you know, I can already hear people goofing on me about this, but I don't care. I am going to freely admit to you. I had absolutely no idea who Tory Craig is. No idea. I'm sure you're not the only one. He was starting. In that game against Golden State. I, I think you would be forgiven if you didn't know who Tory Craig is. And oh, I, was, I thought no, you really. were going to hit me with a Rashawn Holmes. No, um, no, Rashawn. It, <laughs> no, I'm not going to hit I you don't, I, He played at USC Upstate. <laughs> this Tory Craig. Well, I, I mean, mean Rashawn so free, Holmes with the Bowling Green. You got to know Bowling. You got to know Bowling Green, no, Chris. I know, right, because all his games were on TV, too. <laughs> um, Tory Craig, I was like, who is Tory? Usually... I will at least have heard of every starter, much less for a starter that's on a good team that's getting a win against the Warriors. But when I saw that name, it said, you know, it said the starters were Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Nikolai Jokic, Paul Millsap, and T. Craig. And I was like, who is T. Craig? Yeah. He 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 he's like the type of guy. I mean, we talked about Robertson earlier and how his loss impacts Oklahoma City. Uh, Craig Craig might be like even more of a zero on the offensive end of the floor, but like his defense and his hustle, you know, valuable. Uh, it is valuable, and I, I'm I'm going to be curious to see how many minutes he gets moving forward because uh, you still have like Hernan Gomez and Lyles and Malik Beasley, who I like a lot. I'm curious to see if Craig continues to a start or b um, gets increased minutes over those guys when he doesn't really offer that much on the offensive end before, if anything. It's interesting that you brought up Beasley. What's happened with him? Just might not be as good as, as would have hoped for. You think? No, I mean, Beasley was, in, he's an interesting prospect. I liked him a lot in the draft for like a mid guy, a mid first round guy, late first round guy. And he ended up going, I think in 19th to Denver. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a solid player, uh, but he's also in a situation where he's behind better prospects. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. Um, there's not a lot of opportunity there for him yet, but still, like you would have liked to have seen him um, become the guy to elevate into a role when Will Barton goes down. It just hasn't happened. I'll tell you what, the sneaky one, and he's he's one of these guys that I think I love more than most people. I love Lyles. I do. I think he could end up taking a step. I was kind of upset that I didn't mention him uh, when we were talking about guys that could possibly take a step this upcoming season because I'm a big fan of his. I, I, I bet I bet he ends up starting, honestly, for that team because he can stretch it out too. I mean, I know he hasn't uh, been burying three so far, but I think he brings a lot to the table. I think he's a little underrated. Ultimately, it's about how do you put the best lineup around Nikola Jokic, who has just been magnificent the season as he was to end last season it's it's really carried over i mean that game he had last saturday night 35 points on 11 for 11 shooting 11 rebounds 11 assists um make a That's wish crazy. on 11 11 for nikola jokic like that that dude was outstanding and and yet like because of that fight that happened with rondo and chris paul and ingram nobody Nobody was talking about it. Maybe nobody would have talked about it earlier because it's a it's a Denver Phoenix game in October. But Thursday night, Nuggets face the Lakers. If Jokic has a big game on national TV, maybe finally, maybe finally, we'll see Nikola Jokic get the credit he deserves as the premier offensive setter in the league, um, right next to Anthony Davis. Uh, he is really a remarkable player on the offensive end of the floor. Feels like this is going to be the first All Star appearance. 
got to be. You know I mean? gotta, it's got to be. I mean, this guy, yep. Jokic, yep. Jokic is not only did he show at the end of the last season that he can score at a high volume with efficiency, um, but he's an elite rebounder. He is, to me, you know, one of the best passing centers, if not the best, most talented passing center that I've ever seen. I mean, he is a point guard. He has point guard skills at his position. You can run an offense through him, and his defense has improved. Um, so he's not as much of a limitation on that. He he's he's on his way. He's trending up to becoming a top fifteen, top ten player, maybe by the end of the season. When I mentioned Lyles as a guy that could take a step up, you mentioned as a possible Oladipo leap. Uh, one of the other ones that I wanted to mention in your five takeaways, which is this kid for Brooklyn, Karis Levert. Love him. Dude, the highlights you have, I would encourage anybody to go to the ringer and find Kevin's article on five takeaways. The highlights you have in there of him putting Oladipo in a blender. <laughs> holy mackerel. These moves. I mean, Karis LeVert looks, I mean, he looks like a big star, right? Making those moves. And he is such a insanely interesting story, um, to say the least, right? Because the kid, he just got his college career ruined. He ended up playing. He had three surgeries in 22 months. He ended up playing 33 total games his last two years, 18 his junior year and 15 his senior year. Um, and I went and looked it up to see because sometimes you have these. And I know you had mentioned as a guy that he had been talked about as being a possible lottery pick. I think he um, would have been if it weren't for those injuries. Yeah. And I went to go see if. He was one that was like, sometimes you'll look back and you'll say, wow, well, that guy was an, an amazing high school player. He's very highly touted high school player. And so, you know, long ago, people have recognized that this kid was going to be special and he just got kind of, you know, uh, screwed up by injuries. That just is not the case with him. I went and read the stories. He only, how about this? That kid went to one official visit for college. And it was Alabama State. He ends up getting offers from Michigan, Dayton, and Ohio. He signs with Ohio. Their coach, John Gross, weirdly beats Michigan. So he gets the Illinois job. And the kid just got lost in the shuffle. He was ranked 236th in his high school class. And then shows up to Michigan weighing 152 pounds. And like I said, you know, then his college career gets, I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate late bloomer who not only uh, was a late bloomer, but late bloomed through, I mean, three surgeries in 22 months could, I mean, it ruins careers, right? And so I love these stories like this for sure. And then looking at those highlights that you put up there, um, this kid looks special, man. He does. He yeah. does look special. And obviously the numbers he's putting up so far are crazy. Yeah, really with Levert in the draft, he had his flaws and he still does. Like finishing through contact, absorbing contact. And, you know, because of his lean frame, he, he was a good, not great defender. Um, but the weaknesses, you know, you really had a, you know, just poke holes in them, right? You're, you're, you're looking for something. You're searching for something because the, the positives were obvious with his shooting ability, his ball handling, his playmaking at his size, his passing vision. The fact that he just simply play hard and is a high character kid who, who worked hard on and off the court, right? Like the positives were endless. The only real big question was injuries. And that's why I had him ranked in the second round. A lot of NBA people had him ranked second in the, in the second round, but ultimately for the Nets, they felt the confidence that his injuries would be fine. 
And so far, he has been. And they made it made that Thaddeus Young for the uh, they traded Thaddeus Young to the Pacers for the pick that was used on Levert. And now, in his third season in the NBA, Chris, he has seemed to have elevated his play. I mean, we'll see if he maintains um, the points per game. But even if his numbers drop to I don't know, eighteen points per game. We're talking about a guy that got picked 20th. He has already exceeded expectations. Uh, with his versatility on the offensive end of the floor, to me, if, if you're projecting ahead for the Brooklyn Nets, Lavert is a guy that can fit next to anybody because of the fact he's a good spot-up shooter, because of the fact that you can use him on ball in a playmaking role. He can do anything for you, depending no matter what guys are around him on the court. And you know, for all the chuckles about you know when I reported that the Nets weren't willing to put him in an offer for Jimmy Butler, um, it's kind of easy to see why now, isn't it? It feels a little bit like the back in the day. I I remember thinking, and a lot of people thought, you're really not going to give up Clay Thompson to get Kevin Love. You remember that whole deal? Yeah, in Minnesota. And it kind of, uh, you know, at the time, it didn't look as big of a no-brainer that you wouldn't give up Clay Thompson to get Kevin Love. Um, and obviously, as time has gone on, it was the right move to stick with Clay Thompson. That being said, I'm not telling <laughs> you that Karis LeVert's going to end up being that level of player. Oh, no. He's not, he's not that can, level of a shooter. No, but it can be one of those where you look back and say, you know, no wonder they didn't give the guy up. Absolutely. I think any time it's really hard to find two way players with Levert's level of versatility. Like I, I don't think it can be said enough that this guy like you look at the numbers and you might say, Oh, four assists to three point seven turnovers. Like he's not that great of a passer. It's like, no, he he is. He's a really good playmaking wing. Um, he's not a gonna put up big passing numbers, but he can run, pick, and roll for you and make smart, good decisions and accurate passes. Lavert is a is a do it all guy on the offensive end. He is also, people may not know this or people may know this, he is also actually the cousin of the famous R&B Levert from, you know, his cousin was the lead singer of the OJs. And obviously everybody knows Gerald and Sean Levert from the group Levert uh, back in the day. So how about that? That's pretty cool. A guy could end up being a singer too, maybe. I don't know. I wonder if he can sing. Another parallel story with Victor Oladipo. Oh, yeah. Right? He is. Mm, I remember seeing... When Oladipo was at Indiana, he was in a talent show at the school, and that's when I first found out about him, because I just happened to come across it on YouTube when the kid was in college. Um, he sang Usher's You Got It Bad, and he was great. And I was like, now this has got to be pretty rare. He's a talented, talented guy. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it. First, I want to hear from a couple of our sponsors. Hotel Tonight brings us the mismatch today. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked, and Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you've got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you'll love and they even give short profiles of each hotel complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like plus even though their name's hotel tonight they're not just for last minute bookings you can also book in advance perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways three-day weekends staycations road trips business trips booking a place with a pool and more uh, i will tell you i just used hotel tonight no lie 
July a few weeks ago. One of my buddies that works on the show with me went down to cover uh, Memphis versus Tulane in New Orleans, and he was going to try to drive back overnight, and I was like, absolutely not. And I booked hotel tonight. I was able to get, he got a room in the French Quarter, so he was able to spend the night there and then drive back the next morning. You can start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. The Mismatch also brought to you today by 99designs. 99designs is a global creative platform headquartered in Melbourne, Australia, that makes it easy for designers and clients to work together. From logos to apps to packaging to books, 99designs is the go-to design resource for any budget. 99designs is kicking off their partnership with the NBA show, and The Ringer is currently using 99designs to design some of the new Ringer store merch. You may have already seen some pictures of the Ringer staff wearing some of the new logo shirts, and they look great. You can check out the new merch designs and vote for your favorites by visiting 99designs. That's the number 99.com slash NBA and clicking on the link to vote. And right now, you can receive a free $99 upgrade on your first design contest. To get the free upgrade, visit 99designs.com slash NBA and click on the link in the landing page. That's 99designs.com slash NBA. 99designs, where creativity meets possibility. Uh, let's get to the Bucks. Everybody had kind of thought like, hey, the Budenholzer thing is going to be a major upgrade to Jason Kidd, no matter what. Um, it was just a matter of how big of an upgrade and how much you're able to do with it. And we talked about unlocking uh, Giannis, but you kind of charted that, and I was I was a little surprised by this, that their shot distribution, at least through only a couple of games, mirrors more of the Houston Rockets and is much, much, much different than what they were doing last year already. Yeah, it is a significant difference, right? If you look at the Milwaukee Bucks shot distribution uh, so far this season, it is pretty damn close to what the Rockets have done, what the Rockets did last year and what they're doing so far this season. Like, you know, Milwaukee has attempted um, about a third of their shots from the restricted area, um, nearly half of their shots from three-point range. And if that sounds like the Rockets, it's because it is like the Rockets. Uh, the, the difference with Milwaukee is they're not getting their points in the way Houston does. Houston runs their high pick and roll with James Harden and Chris Paul over and over. And if the defense switches, they isolate with the space floor. You know, you'll see Milwaukee run isolations and you'll see them run pick and roll, but not at the frequency that Houston does. They run a lot more ball movement sets that Budenholzer has done for years in, in Atlanta and, you know, what he, you know, learned from his time in San Antonio, his nearly two decades there. Um, they use Giannis in the post a lot, and that's something Houston never does. They rarely ever go to the post, and it's just been really fun to watch Giannis in this role where he's put all over the floor, whether it's as a pick-and-roll ball handler or as a screener in the pick-and-roll, as a guy in the post who's looking to playmake or taking advantage of mismatches, or a guy who's just, like we've always seen him done, just dunking on fools in transition. It is really amazing watching Giannis operate with all this space within this new system. All right. I uh, want to move on to a couple other teams. Is there any level of concern uh, regarding Boston? 
And last night, obviously, the offensive output has been poor so far. There's even an article on The Ringer today, and it, of course, ends with they'll end up figuring it out. But so far, what has taken place with the Boston Celtics is probably not what we were expecting. Paolo wrote it, and it was the Celtics didn't get the memo about the NBA scoring boom. Um, and they are adding in Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward into the mix. What do you think? I mean, that was a weird loss to see come across the 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 scoreboard last night with them losing at home to Orlando. I, you know, you you see the ticker go by if you're watching another game, and I kept seeing that ticker go by, and um, and you know, it's one of those where it's like Orlando's up by four, and I'm like, yeah, well, in the end, they'll end up <laughs> you know down by twenty, right? Like the the Celtics will turn it on. They never turned it on. Right. And they got caught by Orlando on their home court, which was not something I particularly expected to see. For what it's worth, I didn't see any of that game last night. I haven't even seen a highlight for that matter. Um, but the one thing I have noticed watching Boston so far this season is it seems like they're taking a lot more mid range jumpers early in the clock. Um, I don't recall them doing that quite as often. And that might just be, it just might be a small sampling, but it does seem like they're taking more mid range shots early in the clock. And, you know, Again, Kyrie Irving has not seemed like the same guy so far this season, maybe working himself back um, from his offseason injury, uh, his knee injury last year, sorry. Hayward, obviously not the same. They're going to be fine. But but I am curious about some of these trends with the mid-range shot selection. I tell you this, and again, it's it's still early in the season, but uh, Clifford is... Uh, He's been good for Nikola Vucevic because that kid has started on fire. He's averaging 19 and 10. Um, you know, we've always known he's a talented guy, right? But they, he was great last night against them. I did get to see some of it because um, not only he, but I mean, their front court with him and Isaac. Isaac ends up with like 18 and 12 last night. Yeah, I, and Isaac had you, big numbers. Yeah, you said that Orlando could surprise some people by getting some wins, um, even despite the fact that they may not end up winning a ton of games. Um, and so it's interesting to see that particular tandem. And so far this year, I mean, this has become Vucevic. It's weird, right? The the mix was so goofy when they added Biombo and like it was like I don't know. We all had very high thoughts about Vucevic, and then kind of got lost in the mix and obviously they're losing a million games but maybe Clifford is going to get you know we're going to see the the Vooch that we we saw a couple of years ago when it looked like he was one of the real promising young possible stars right I mean that was how everybody felt about that kid and he's just been in witness protection almost for the last couple of years yeah, Vucevic, you know, last year he started incorporating shooting threes more frequently, and this year his attempts are down. But, yeah, I, I mean, he's always been a talented offensive center. Um, may, maybe the opportunity will be there now that uh, the, that glut of centers uh, isn't on the roster anymore where he can, you know, play next to Jonathan Isaac or Mobamba, who can also space the floor from three. It'll be interesting. I mean, this Orlando team has some quality young players on it. Right. I mean, Aaron Gordon as well. Vucevic is, you know, still only 27. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, ultimately, um, him and Mo Bamba are the guys that the de- their development is the most important thing this season. Um, those guys making strides independently and together on the floor is what could someday make this Orlando defense into a high power defense with all their length and versatility. Yeah, do you know? Well, and the same guy that built the Hammond that built the Bucks, and you look at their absurd length. I mean, he's obviously running the show down in Orlando, 
And so you just end up taking whoever the who's the guy with the longest wingspan. And he's probably got a chance of being drafted by by John Hammond. I got to see last night's game because Isaac specifically, you know, scoring 18 points. I, I need to see how he scored those points and why he scored those points, because his he's always had like tantalizing offensive potential. It's just he doesn't really have that scores mentality and his ball handling needs to develop. Um, but it's encouraging to see him do that against a really, really good Celtics defense. If anybody pulls the plug quick because a team starts, you know, with a terrible record, like maybe way behind the eight ball, they start one and eight or they start, (laughs) you know, something like, all right, so we've got a couple candidates for sure, right? You got the Bulls. So would you be more worried if you are Fred Hoiberg, Ty Lue, Luke Walton, or Billy Donovan? Oh boy, I'd be worried if I'm any of those guys. <laughs> um, I wonder. I wonder I, which I, one. Right, the Bulls spent a lot of money in the offseason. Dan Gilbert said we're still going to win without LeBron. They have looked like shit. I mean, they were. I saw that Hawks team in person, Kevin. That team is awful, awful. Yeah, and they Trey, turn, and Trey they ran about much better than Marshawn Brooks, though. You ain't lying. <laughs> now, in fairness, he's going to get to do everything he wants to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, As this season if you goes, you put Marshawn Brooks on the Hawks' offense. We'll see. Well, what no. Listen, I saw Marshawn Brooks on a rat team oh, last year. By on. the way, yeah. I did. I saw him on a rat team. Mm, yeah, okay. Did you see what he well, did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens. Oh, yeah. You're allowed to do whatever seven, you want. Seven when, games. When you lose sixty games, you're allowed to do oh, whatever you gosh. want. Nobody cares what you do. I told you, uh, listen, I know everybody's, you know, uh, got an erection over Trey Young already. <laughs> I, I told you, this is... Is, that, is that the first to, time that word has ever been used in the Ringer NBA show? Probably. <laughs> it's a good, but good, being good, a, good, 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 good hey, context. There, there, there's going to be a little Oklahoma going on with this. Just watch. Watch what I say. He ran through everybody at Oklahoma for about two weeks, and then they lost 50 games in a row to end that yeah. season and it wasn't as easy as it was like he'll get to go this first time through and I'm not trying to take away from him I'm not 35 in a win is unbelievable um but I and I know that you roll your eyes at this but I I do believe in when you lose like hell when you lose a lot and you're able to take whatever shot you want to take and do whatever you want to do that that is not what is necessarily best because I'm seeing it now with a kid like Dylan Brooks, who was able to do anything he wanted to do last year. And now, like when you're trying to win games, you can't just do whatever you want to do. And in fairness, I saw it years ago. I loved OJ Mayo. And anybody can go back and look at this. Kid almost averaged 20 points a game his rookie year. If Derrick Rose didn't exist, he probably would have been the rookie of the year. And then you fast forward to when you know the team became a winning team. And guess what? That's not what you are when the team wins. And maybe Trey Young will be like Curry, and that's what you are on a winning team. But I have my doubts of that. That's all I'll say. I'm writing about Trey Young this week, so I'll save my thoughts for that article. But uh, I'll say that I think you're hitting on some good points. And I had Trey Young ranked uh, 11th for a reason. Uh, But I, I do think his play early this season is very encouraging. Very encouraging. Listen, he's a very good player. But more, more than that, to me, that Trey Young amazing performance at Cleveland was way more about Cleveland. That's just bananas. I don't know, man. I mean, it's bananas. The, the, That's crazy. The, the one thing about Trey is it's not just scoring; it's passing. He's a really 
really great passer. And the he's one thing, also the one thing he's, he's also shown, the point guard on a team that I watched give up seventy seven to the freaking Grizzlies uh, in a half. In a half. In a half. That team is awful, Kevin. Trust me. That that is bizarre <laughs> that Cleveland would get run out like that on their home court. Ty Lue may not make it there. Seriously. Because Gilbert thought they were going to be a good team, right? Now, that he may be dead wrong about that. But I thought they were going to be okay. Maybe not good. Ten seed, okay. ten seed in the East. Um, is that okay? I mean, didn't you think they would possibly fight for a playoff spot? I don't know. I mean, like, I, Maybe I, not. I, I think you can get in the playoffs in the East and still be a bad team in the seven or eight spot. Um, That's true. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. fair. All right. So, hey, Hoiberg, Lou, Walton, Donovan. Um, it seems like Gilbert would be the least patient, right? I'd probably be most worried if I were Tyler, that if it spins out for a couple of game, couple more games, that he would, you know, the Bulls, I don't know. Are you going to sit there and say, I know we spent a lot of money in this offseason, but we're not living up to what I thought we were going to be? No, I mean, who, who could have thought, you know, spending money on Zach Levine and Jabari Parker would, would help your defense? Come well, on now. And it, and it seems like Jeannie Buss is is really in Walton's corner. So we throw that one out. And Presty has been a very patient guy. That Oklahoma City team was not very good for a good portion of last year. And he stuck with Billy Donovan. Um, but listen, you know, these guys, these GMs, they go to the owner and they're either blaming the coach or blaming the roster. And you know, sure as hell, they ain't blaming the roster. They're t- saying, we should be good. Our coach stinks. I mean, can we be real though? I mean, for a team like Chicago... or Cleveland for that matter, A, you shouldn't really be expected to win that many games, right? For Chicago, it's about the development of those young players, about Wendell Carter, and once Lowry Marketing comes back, it's about those guys getting better. It's about hopefully, you know, you know, if Hoiberg can help Levine turn into a, actually a competent defender, uh, right? You know, if you can help these guys develop, you're still not going to win a lot of games. Um, and then not only that, you're just better off losing. You're better off having a high draft pick if you're Chicago or Cleveland. You're not if you're Oklahoma City or, or the Lakers, where the expectation is the playoffs. The expectation is a high playoff seed. Um, it's not to win a championship. It's to be a really competitive uh, team that gets a three seed in the, in the Western Conference. Um, if you're not meeting those expectations, then yeah, I think you'd be worried. I think for Hoiberg and Lou, the, the, the conversation, the context is less about the winning or losing and more so, you know, how are they managing the players? How are the players developing? Um, how do we feel the team is being run? And that's true also for the Lakers and, and the Thunder. Um, but it's a little bit more results-based maybe with those teams. Yeah, if we were talking about maybe like somebody making a move, obviously the one that people have already thrown out there once Cleveland looks like crap is, hey, now it's Kevin Love's turn to get traded somewhere. It's it's right? tough to tough to blame the coach though, man. Like like you know, we talked about Oklahoma City and the Lakers to open the show. Oklahoma City doesn't have many shooters on their team. It's it's tough for Billy Donovan to probably run the type of offense he wants to and. Same for the Lakers. Their shooting is average or below average for that matter. Um, it's the personnel, too. It, I, like, judging coaches is really, I think, from the outside for us, like, we can look at rotations and we can look at the how they're, you know, utilizing the roster, but we don't see into practices, like, how they're managing the guys. We're not seeing how they manage, you know, disagreements that happen. Like, those are the things that, you know, in my opinion, ultimately would, would play a factor in whether to, you know, fire a guy or keep a guy. Well, and what we're seeing with that Oklahoma City team is kind of what we saw last year, which is the Robertson loss is way too 
it, it is bigger than what it should be for them, but it is significant. Like you saw their defensive numbers just plummet last year without that kid on the team. And now they're talking about, you know, December, who knows, hopefully, you know, for their sake, they could get him back by December, but uh, Robertson being out of the lineup probably shouldn't have that drastic of effect. And that's kind of where their bread was buttered. They were, they were a team that was a very good defensive team because they had one of the best perimeter defenders in Robertson. And they've got obviously a back line that includes Adams. Who's outstanding. And Paul George as well. Yeah. So, but now when you took that kid out of the mix, their defense isn't, you know, it's not daunting to deal with. And it certainly hasn't been through the first couple of games of the season. In fairness, Westbrook's only, you know, he just got back. Long way probably, to go. Yeah, got a long way to go. Kevin, it has been a very fun first week of the season. We would have gotten more into the spitting incident, but I know you guys chronicled that completely on Heat Check I'm yesterday. I'm tired of that already, to be honest with you. You are? Yeah, I'm tired of it. The only thing that's still interesting to me is the, the length of the suspensions. Like I think it was very soft. Four, three, and two. I'm very surprised. Like David Stern would have laid the hammer down on those guys. And whether that's for better or for worse, I'm not sure. But the suspensions were absolutely light. I thought that they might make an example of it, right? Me too. Uh, I look forward to reading your... When's that Trey Young article coming out? I think we're going to have it after the Mavericks-Hawks game on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, right. Nobody's going to be paying attention to that. Uh, the Doncic-Trey Young game, are they? Mm, nobody. Wow. Nobody. Nobody's going who's gonna, to who's gonna watch that. <laughs> I know. Between two, two, two non-playoff teams, who's going to watch that? We're going to watch that, Chris. Everybody will be tuned in for sure. Kevin, it's always a pleasure. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Please give us five stars, five stars. It really helps the cause, and we will talk to you next week. Hey!